This podcast is shareable. I'm going to go ahead on a limb and say this either is or will become your favorite podcast. This is shareable. The show that's so good, you got to tell someone about it. Every episode, we explore the impact of people and technology on our lives and careers, and we send you away with something shareable. Now, without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to Shareable. This might be, might be the most timely episode we've ever produced. Today, my guest is Anu Vora, and she is here to talk to me about what her company does, the influences in her life, people, technology, and at this point, current events. So Anu, welcome to the show. Hi, so happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, so we, you and I met, man, uh, it has to have been like two months ago at this point. Yeah, right, and, like the week I moved. Yeah. So at um, so my wife uh, is the community manager at the WeWork that you work out of. She introduced us, said, oh, you two will get along beautifully. And naturally we did. She's a good <laughs> sort of things. And you told me about the work that you're doing. And I think it's just super fascinating. And lo and behold, we had no idea if this was going to happen. We did not plan for this. We couldn't have planned for this. But um, we we have been impacted serendipitously by current events, making our conversation all the more relevant. So yeah. Before I get into what those current events are, because I think that'll naturally come out of our conversation, let's start with, tell me a bit about, for, for the audience's benefit, what your company does. Tell, tell me who you are and what you do. Cool. So I'm Anu. I um, am the CEO of Admit Ally, which is a mentorship platform. We connect high school students to current undergrads that match them on interests academically and extracurricularly and sort of say, you know, I'm interested in going to NYU and studying math. So why don't I talk to somebody who lives that life um, and understand from their perspective, what's the day-to-day like? What was it like applying there? How did you differentiate yourself and use personal real stories to potentially Potentially uplift students that are hoping to be in their mentor's shoes someday. So for our audience that's listening and follows any news that's happening, <laughs> I'm sure they've heard that there's a lot of talk right now about college admissions and about um, you know, what it takes to get into the right college, choosing the right college, making your decisions, and in some cases, what are the wins that are at your back to help you get into those colleges. So I think it's, it's amazing that um, fortune has shined on us to be able to have this conversation, not just about you know, what you're doing and why you're doing it, but at this current moment, why it's so important what you're doing. Um, so... Uh, just quick take on it. Um, I'll just kind of drop the the overall headline of it, but this scandal that has come out about this uh, side door bribery to get into prestigious colleges story has just dropped. I actually just listened to the the story about it on um, on the New York Times Daily. Mm-hmm. It was really really interesting. I'm curious, what's your kind of immediate take on it? What's your what's your gut tell you about you know what this story represents? I think this story is unsurprising. Um, I, you know, you, you called it a side door. I would call it the back door. Um, I think the side door is what happens in companies all across the country, all across the world, where it's like, hey, why don't we put this resume at the top of the pile, right? Why don't we consider this person on their merits, but maybe 
maybe this person gets considered over somebody else because their parents know somebody. I think that will continue on for ages. And um, that's what we think of when we think of privilege. But this is, this is illegal. This is actually bribing people when you know your kid cannot get in on their own. And it's, it's appalling. And it's, it's kind of the reason that Admit Ally exists, even though we really exist to combat sort of the legal privilege prevalent in the college counseling space. Um, but it's upsetting because I work with high school kids every single day that are doing everything that they possibly can to feel recognized by these colleges that hold all of the cards. And the, these colleges are saying, you know, we're going to judge you and we're going to tell you exactly if you're Harvard material or not. And that judgment is going to impact your life forever, either it's psychologically or you get certain opportunities. Not to say it's going to be worse because you don't go to Harvard, but that's how these kids genuinely feel. And then to tell them that there are other people that get to take those spots at those colleges that know that they don't deserve it and maybe never even had to work because they always knew that that this spot would be available to them at these colleges. Um, I'm worried about what it's doing to the kids that I work with because I feel like if they know that this is, this is happening, then what's the impetus to even try? Like, let me just go to the state school and just, you know, what's the point? I don't come from means. Why should I even put my all into this? Is it, is it a just system? Yeah, that's got to be, I, I can imagine the, the psychological impact that has for people trying to overcome what is already seen to be a daunting task of getting into mm-hmm. the top colleges and then to find out that there is this kind of, to your point, unsurprising uh, system in the background, you know, there's the part that we knew about that. Uh, it's funny, the, the backdoor side door thing. It's the, a lot of the, um, so in the story, the, the guy that was at kind of like the center of the FBI investigation referred to as a side door. And they often refer to the back door as like the, the endowment piece, like they donate a building or they give all this money or they, you know, they sure. went there as their alma mater. So whatever the terminology is about it though, I think we're all fairly, um, not surprised that there's this level of, there's, there's this um, way of kind of sidestepping the system to get yourself in with, without going through the front door of your merits. So, but I want to I kind of take a left turn on this and come back to it. I want to table it for a second because sure. I think that's an important context for the discussion that we're going to have. And I want to mm-hmm. come back to it and, and definitely not unpack a lot of the same um, you know, perspective on, on this whole corruption and bribery thing. But I think it's important to set that as a stage when we talk about what it is that you're working on. So can, can you walk me through a little bit of the um, kind of how the sausage is made in the work that you're doing about connecting, uh, you know, prospective applicants to a college, to, to kids that are already at that school? Talk me through, I guess, as a starting point, where did the idea come from? And as part of that, kind of talk me through, I guess, what you saw the value in that being. Uh, and then from there, I'd like us to then go into a little bit of like how, it, how it's done and, and what the, the tangible stuff that comes from it. So, but, but start me from the idea. Where did it come from? So the idea is actually not something that I even came up with. It's something I happened upon. Um, my family in Cincinnati, we, we are, you know, my parents are in technology and they're entrepreneurs and they started running this program in Cincinnati called Zero to 60, where 10 or 10 high schoolers, eight to 10 high schoolers would basically be invited to spend 10 weeks learning how to start a startup. And it's their own idea. And they have to build an MVP in those 10 weeks in the summer um, and then pitch to investors. And so I 
oversaw the program. That, that was a summer after I graduated from college. I had just moved home. And um, I worked with these kids, and they finished the program, and investors were really interested in putting some money into it. But the kids were all going into either their senior year of high school or their freshman year of college. And they were like, we really need more help. Our high schools have one college counselor for, or one counselor for 480 kids. We have never gotten one-on-one time and we're all at the top of our classes and we have no idea what's going to come down next. Um, and we need more attention, but we can't pay for it. And so they left that after the internship and I was like, you guys should run with this. You can get money. You can, you can build this thing, maybe take a gap year, go back to school afterward course. Um, and they were just onto the next and they really thought that the idea had potential and asked me, you know, are you interested in potentially taking this forward? Um, Cause I was working on a different company at the time that did not work out, but Basically, I started there. I started with this idea, you know, these kids were like, I want to go to Harvard. How do I get into Harvard without spending a lot of money? Because they're all 4.0 kids, these founders, I should say. And they, um, you know, that's where it started where I wanted to go to this school. How do I get in? But it quickly turned into, I think it will be okay if I didn't get in to Harvard. I think it would be okay if I didn't go to this top tier school. But where should I go? Where, where would I fit in? And where is the person that I have become, you know, at age 17, 18, where is that person going to thrive? Because I don't have any role models, right? I don't have anyone that I'm super close to that's older than me, that's living their best life and telling me about it. I have people that sort of move on from high school. Um, my parents, if they even went to college, went 20 something years ago where it was easier to get in and cheaper. And I don't know how to navigate one, what it means to take on loans, two, who am I taking on these loans for, and three, like all of the stuff that comes along with making that really tough transition from high school to college. And it would be nice if I could speak to somebody who gets me, who isn't just some student ambassador or tour guide at a college, um, if I can even afford to tour that college. And somebody who can actually tell me, you know, this is the major that we both are interested in. I'm actually studying that at the school that you're considering. And this is what my day-to-day life looks like. Those, those data points and that information is not readily available. And so it turned into, you know, how do we get mentors at the top X number of colleges? Um, and quickly within a couple months, I was able to get about 400 mentors to um, sort of sign on to be Admit Ally mentors. And um, then we just started asking students a few months later, you know, like, what college do you want to speak to? What are you interested in via type form and just something super simple? And then connecting students for video calls. And what we learned was something really beautiful that kids aren't asking, how do I get in? Kids are asking, you know, what's it like to live in a co-ed dorm? And what is it like if somebody drinks their first year and you're not comfortable with that? Or how often did you visit your parents or how often did they visit you? And were people weird about that? And, you know, what's it like to pick a major? And if you change your major, is it like shameful? Is it something people will judge you for? Is laundry expensive? Like these are the kinds of questions that they just want to talk to a sort of older sibling type person about. And we were able to create those meaningful relationships because we took out this fear of not getting admission and we made the entire brand about 
just talk to somebody and see what you can learn about whether or not you would be happy there. And then if you know what you would do if you were a student there, your applications will be that much stronger because you can actually explain to the college why you think you belong. Let me ask you this, uh, because I'm, I'm thinking about what you've just described as um, you know, the, the first thing I heard is that your parents are involved in technology. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting data point that, mm-hmm. you know, part of your method of probably developing this idea came out of this familiarity and closeness to technology. So I, when I look at the service that you're putting together and providing for people, there's kind of two things that immediately run through my mind. The first is, would something like this be possible if we weren't in the current technological age that we're in to be able to expand and scale something at least as quickly as you did and to provide as efficient means of communication as you have? So I guess first is, you know, did the technology kind of lead you into this or was it more, let me, let me phrase this differently. It seems to me that the technology would facilitate making this easy and that could have been the Mm -hmm. birth of the idea. The second part that could have birthed the idea was that we need to provide mentorship in real life question and answer. So I guess which came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it that you wanted to provide mentorship and man, technology makes this easier? Or was it that we think we can now connect them with it and what's the value we could probably best get from that is, oh, wow, there's this mentorship and asking these real life questions. Kind of what was your starting point where this kind of epiphany lightning bolt hit you about it? Or was it more of an evolution where all these things kind of came together? Like talk me through that. Yeah, it it was the definitely the mentorship that sort of, um, drove me to want to do this because I, you know, as a high school student, I, looking back on how I think stressed I was and the ways that I was almost acting out and what I was feeling at that time, which I don't look upon super, super fondly. Part of the problem was that I didn't have anybody that I was looking up to that understood me. And I think that's something that any kid needs. And we aren't providing that in our schools. And you look at the data, there's 100 and, sorry, 470 students assigned to every one counselor in public schools. And these counselors aren't just sitting all day talking about colleges. They're the people helping you schedule your courses. They're the people you go to for conflict management. Um, they have a whole bunch of other jobs in supporting the educators at the school and working with the administration and and working with parents. And and maybe 25% of their time is being spent thinking about how do I help this kid with one, arguably one of the biggest transitions of their life. Um, and I don't think that there were a lot of models that were doing that very well. So I was more interested in the mentorship part and the technology part. I really messed up at the beginning. I mean, you know, I started the company when I was 21. I was just excited about being a CEO of a tech company to some extent. I knew the problem that I wanted to solve was something I really cared about, but I had been interning since I was 15 years old at tech companies at startups. I worked in the Bay area a couple summers in college and all of that influenced me to try to like build some crazy technology as a non-technical CEO, as somebody who is really, really no good at building, you know, software herself. And so I made a lot of mistakes trying to make it a tech company that did mentorship when I knew that we could provide what we wanted to with a really low tech solution. So after six months of struggling and working with engineers that were maybe like 30 years older than me, who didn't respect me, who I was not doing a good job of managing because I didn't have clarity on how to build a technical product and I was trying to make this something it wasn't, I decided 
you know, why don't we just take two type forms, one for a mentor and one for a mentee, and I'll be the algorithm, I'll be the magic sauce for a little bit, and two people will be connected by me, and I'll send them a few emails, and they'll meet over a video chat, and we'll get the basic um, sort of outcome that we're looking for. And if it makes sense, then we'll understand the ways to actually build a platform. And, you know, six weeks ago, we launched our first automated platform on the site, and we're able to make it happen in about a year. Um, but it took taking a step back and being like, this doesn't need to be centered around the tech. This needs to be centered around like the story that we're trying to create for these people, where it's like, I am interested in X and have Y anxieties, right? Like how do I quell those anxieties? Putting them in front of someone is more, and doing it quickly especially at the time that I was doing it, which is April of 2018 when I started, which is the month that you have to decide where you want to go to college before the May 1st decision day deadline. And so I was working with seniors and I was like, I don't need to build this tech. I need to get this out to high school seniors right now so that they can help, they can use this to help them decide which college to attend from the, from the two or three schools that, they have, that have accepted them. And so, um, Sorry, that was kind of a long answer. <laughs> but, no, but. I mean, it, it's it, so there's so much there, right? Like, I, just a couple of things I want to point out that I noticed, and I think it's always interesting when entrepreneurs talk to one another uh, for a number of reasons that we see so much of each other in each other, um, and but also how difficult it is to reflect upon yourself. So, one of the things that you know, the first thing that my brain went to when you're talking about this problem is that as an entrepreneur, your job and your compulsion is generally to solve problems. And when you say something like, there are 470 students to every one guidance counselor, and that they maybe get to spend 25% of their time, maybe with all the other responsibilities, first thing I did was, well, I said, well, what's the math on that? Because mm -hmm. I wanted to think about that. And, and actually, I, was, I just did some quick math here. And the way that that would work out is that if a teacher were to work, not take a summer, and they were to work every single day except weekends, and they were to spend one hour with each student based upon the number of hours that it would take them to do that on 25% of their time, it would take them seven hours a day to talk to each of those students. Yep. That's how many hours it would take them to be able to, uh, to, to do that, essentially. Mm -hmm. I, my math might be wrong, but the point is you found a problem and you solved it. And, and just from a data perspective, it is a clear and demonstrable problem. But the, the second thing that I think is most fascinating, since this is a podcast that we generally talk about the impact of people and technology, and oftentimes in that conversation, technology becomes the star of the show. And I think you're one of the most prominent examples that has ever come on the show to say, listen, the tech actually wasn't the thing here. And I, like when you give this example of like the May 1st deadline and that you put the tech to the side and said the important thing here is actually the people. I, I just think that's such a fascinating example of that, that it's not always the tech solution that we look for, but it's actually the people solution and that you put yourself in the role of being that algorithm to connect those people. I, I just... Yeah. I, and, and after working, you know, like I've, I've worked for some, some like medium, large size startups in the Bay, one in healthcare, one in like sort of career solutions. And everyone is so excited about the technology because they have a right to be like, we are, we're creating so much every single day that's changing the way the world works. And we're all super excited about it. So we try to use what we want to build. And I've seen this, especially with the engineers that I have worked with and that have not, that has, it hasn't worked out with us basically. Um, I've noticed that they're just super excited to build something new 
And I'm like, focus on the problem. Like we're here to, we're here to leverage technology to do something much bigger. We're not here to just play. Like there are people that need help. There are people that like need this product and we don't need to build something crazy beautiful. We don't need to build something that's like working on the back end, like it's the year 3000. We just need something that can get it done and not be too ugly to look at in a way that's like brand new to get it out there. And then we can keep, as we grow and as we get more money and as we get more validation, yeah, we can start playing around. But that's not, I think, where companies should be starting. No, I completely agree. And and it's a nice reminder in this heavily technology-oriented times that sometimes we have to come back to what is really important here, which is what's the, what's the impact on the people. Mm-hmm. So, so speaking of that, um, kind of circling back into the, the recent developments and the recent news that has come out about these, um, these bribery situations, the kind of the deck being stacked, there's all the conversations around, you know, um, I don't know if it's technically affirmative action or if it's just like about how how universities are accepting students based upon different ethnicities and diversities and everything. And then you find out that this sort of thing is happening there. Um, when all this stuff came out, did you feel reinvigorated and reignited in the purpose of what what you're doing and how that fits into this? Um, absolutely. Okay. I was going to say like, I, I'd imagine kind of to the point of what you said at the top of the show is to some of the students, it could feel very discouraging. So talk to me a little bit about how this recognition maybe helps you to reframe or potentially talk about what you do in a way that helps to validate why something like this is so necessary. I think when you start looking at all the different ways that people with money spend that money to stack the cards in their favor, sort of, I'm really bad at idioms, but basically (laughs) to help them get into college. um, And you realize that the average college counseling hour costs $200. um, And you realize that one in four kids is paying for a private service. And then this comes out, right? That people are not only paying for legal services and I, I mean, I, I'm close with somebody who charges $25,000 per kid per application season to help them get into an Ivy League school. And like you, all of this is already in the world and it's already so infuriating. And then you hear about these 56 families indicted, right? And then like, these are the 56 families that were indicted. And I always think about the people who got away with it, the people who are, we're not talking about, and how big is that pool, right? And how, how common is this really that's been going on sort of under our noses? And these colleges, you know, now they're all in this class action lawsuit, these elite schools, these colleges are supposedly like, they really care about equity on their campuses, especially like socioeconomic equity and making sure that if you get into Harvard and you can't afford it, then we will, we will definitely support you. All of that seems like it was so disingenuous now because how can you be a school that both will take half a million or a million from a family and guarantee a spot? And then how can you also be a school that is constantly putting out press releases about how this is the most diverse class at Harvard socioeconomically from every possible angle, how we're, you know, how we're trying to make this a more equitable place. How can you be both of those things? And, and if you're not, then 
what is the impact on, again, what is the impact on these kids that are not of means and have no idea how unlikely it is that they can actually get in? Um, and, and the part that sort of invigorated me the most about this is like, these kids that I, that I work with that are not typically like, I would probably socioeconomically place them in like the middle 50%. They're not in the bottom quartile and they're definitely not in the top. But these kids have, have had decent lives. They go to public school. They, you know, get good grades most of the time. They study super hard and take the SAT maybe twice if they can afford it. Um, and these kids are absolutely crushed when they don't get into these schools because they think it's a value judgment on them. But at the end of the day, if they had just played a sport, if they had played a sport, then they would be 1,000 times more likely to get into Harvard. The fact that like these inequities exist are starting to sort of um, trickle down to like these kids. They're starting to see, they're trying to, starting to see that they, like nothing that they do can really get them in because of where they were born. And it's really hard to see that. And so what we do is, is even more prevalent now because what we're saying is we don't, we're not trying to scheme a way in for you. We're trying to show you a real human being on the other side who, who found success. And the kids that we hire on the mentor side, I don't really know how much money their families make, but what I do know is that a lot of them work jobs on the side. A lot of them are taking on loans. A lot of our mentors are talking about the reality of being a kid not from a billionaire family going to an elite school and making it all work. And they do openly talk about, you know, sometimes it's not possible for you to go out drinking with your friends because drinks are expensive. And like, I would rather just stay in and that hasn't impacted my social life. These kinds of stories help the kids that are applying quote unquote, the right way, the average American kid that's applying, it helps them see, okay, that could be me. And this is possible. Like it, this is something that is within sort of my grasp, but at the end of the day, I'm also need to, I also need to know that this is a crapshoot and that I also need to know that this could be my life, but if it's not, it's not necessarily a value judgment on me and, and what I'm worth. No, absolutely. And, and the other thing that comes to mind, I'm curious what your experience has been with this, but when you talk to the kids who are the mentors, I'm, I'm thinking the impact that this must have on them, you know, because I remember my college experience, I'm not sure everybody's is, but there's times where you kind of get down. Like it's, it's yeah. tough. Like there's times where you don't have money or where you're struggling with a class or whatever it might be or friendships or social status or whatever might be coming up. I'd imagine that being in this role of like the, the big brother, big sister mentor type has got to be very like fulfilling and life affirming to the mentors and probably helps them to better fit into their own and, and also come to grips and cope with their own situations by being able to share it with someone. So I'd imagine that there's a benefit there as well. Yeah. I mean, from the beginning, that's like an unintended positive consequence of all of this is that like these mentors, there have been a few that have actually reached out to me and been like talking to a kid about what I'm doing on my campus and why I'm doing it made me realize that I wasn't doing enough. Made me realize that I needed to be better because I have this golden opportunity to make something of myself on a campus with seemingly unlimited resources. 
and I'm not making the most of it. And talking to this kid who's dying to be in my shoes made me realize that I cannot take a moment for granted on my campus. And that's kind of a really beautiful thing. I've noticed a similar sort of outcome when we ran this internship program for high schoolers um, with my family in Cincinnati, that the people that we brought in to advise these high school students, the sort of the developers and designers that came in and um, helped them bring their idea to light all felt similarly. Because when you help somebody from a position of power and a position of like, you know, having found success, quote unquote, in, in the other person's eyes, you, you realize that you're extremely lucky to, to have ended up where you are. And something, something clicks in people's minds where they're like, I can do better. And I'm curious in like future years, how Admit Ally will be able to measure that impact on the college side and be like, this is the positive impact we've not only had on high school students, but on the mentors themselves. I love it. I love that you're thinking like that and that, you know, um, in the, in the conversations we've had, I think it's very clear that you're out to make a very positive impact. And I like that you're also thinking about it from the perspective of, well, how do we measure that impact and where do we go next and how do we build this? And I think that you've also, you've got a very patient way about you in how you're going to go about this, putting the mission first and foremost. I'm curious in your, um, journey as an entrepreneur here. I mean, you're a young, ambitious entrepreneur and you're building something that hopefully is going to change the world very much for the better. I'm curious though, you've come this far, you've done these things, you've had failures, you've had some successes. So you've got all of this. I'm curious, even in this, um, in, in what you've had as a career so far, if you could look back and kind of give your younger self some advice and pass along the biggest lesson you've learned up to this point, kind of what would you go back and change to help accelerate the growth and success that you currently have? I think I would, the biggest thing that I have tried to undo and I'm still undoing and unlearning is this, um, this like the power of external validation and how the power that it has on kids nowadays. I, I was absolutely like living for external validation as a kid. I just wanted my teachers to love me. I wanted, you know, any intern like bosses to love me. I wanted to be told that I was great. And I wasn't focusing on the work. I was focusing on how do I make people feel? Like, am I, and it's, it's part imposter syndrome, I think. It was just like, I don't really deserve to be here. So if I'm fooling you, that'd be awesome. Um, and it's also part just like, that's what, that's the system of thinking that I was taught in the way that schools work right now, right? It's like, we are giving out more A's than ever before. And we're teaching kids that like, you have to gun for the A, do whatever is necessary to get the A, right? Like that, that is what defines success. And you see less and less, and I see this in my calls and I, as much as I can try to get this message out to high school students, I'm like, yeah, A's are great because we'll get you to the next thing. But as soon as you get into college, one, A's are harder to earn and that's going to make you feel terrible about yourself. Um, and two, you're actually here to learn a trade. You're here to learn like a specific thing and you have to get pretty like expert level at that thing in four years. Um, and, and that's when external validation being sort of what gets you most like high on yourself. That's when that will fail you. That's when you'll start to realize that, you know, it's, you're not going to do well. 
you're going to think that it's you that's the problem that you you know you sort of failed into the school somehow um and it's going to cause some like pretty dark moments and I, most of my friends have gone through this i certainly went through this for a long time where i was like why am i not performing and why do i care more about what people think of me than i care about like this thing that i'm spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on this degree and like becoming, and I was a political science major. I've always really had an interest in political science since I was in high school. And I, I felt like I was constantly trying to impress people around me to the point where I wasn't doing my education justice. And it was causing a lot of anxiety. And I wish that I had just been more almost honest and pure in my approach um, without sort of worrying about how I come off because it would have provided a lot more um, like, I don't know, fulfillment from a younger age that I'm now feeling in my work because as a founder, you have no systems of external validation, especially as a young solo founder. My friends are all now almost two years out of college. They're all getting promoted. They're all making a lot of money. Um, I mean, compared to zero, which is what I, you know, it's founders make. That's a lot of money. And it's, it's hard. It was hard, especially in the beginning to think about like, okay, you are moving up in some kind of ladder system and that is bringing you joy. And that feeds into everything we were taught as kids that like, you need to be validated and you need to grow in like this specific type of metric. And I have none of that. I have only like the stories of the kids that we work with. That's the only measure of success that I have. And obviously, as you know, customers aren't always like every single customer isn't going to reach out to tell you what they think. Yeah. Um, and so it's infrequent, but it's, it was really important for me to go through this because I think I actively undid so much of this imposter syndrome by working alone, by bootstrapping. I lost all the money that I had saved since I was 15 years old on a bad idea in the first six months of the startup and had to find a way out of it to be able to survive. You know, I did live at home cause I couldn't afford rent and also building the company. Like there was so much that made me feel like by all measures, I'm a failure right now, but I got to go into work every day and like do something that I had conviction about and actually listen to that conviction. And I think I w if I had had this my whole life, I, I feel like I would be, I don't even know what I could have accomplished at this point. It's, it's incalculable. We need more like you out there. We <laughs> really do. I, I, I love hearing you talk about this. It's inspiring. It's exciting. And I think people often underestimate. I think we often hear the stories of entrepreneurs. It's the glitz and the glamour and the, the, you know, the big exit and all of that. And mm -hmm. I, I think, um, we we often even glamorize the ugly parts of it, right? Like the hustle culture and yeah. you know, uh, persevering through all of it. And um, you know, it is still inspiring to hear that you can be motivated by passion and purpose to do something bigger, even in spite of the adversity that that comes along with that. And we can do it without glamorizing it. You know, I think it's that. It's it's, it's glamorous hard, enough just to do that work, but it does come with that ugly side of it, which is the living at home, the blowing all of your mm -hmm. money, the feeling like a failure. Failure. The the loneliness of the entrepreneur is is a conversation that is very rarely talked about. I think, and I think what's interesting is that 
because of the work that you're specifically doing with high school students who may feel like they have no one to turn to. By the way, my math was wrong earlier. It's 1.1 hours that they would have to spend per student if they were all year without summer. But anyway, the point is, is that they would feel like, who do I turn to, right? Like I can't turn to my parent, can't turn to my guidance counselor. They only have an hour, 1.1 hours for me throughout the whole school year. Who do I talk to? And that same feeling of lonely, I don't know who to turn to. I'm all on my own to try and figure out this big thing, whether it's getting into Harvard or running a company. It, it makes sense why you'd be able to so deeply empathize with that experience for them. Also, you know, having, you know, gone through it yourself as, as all people do as like a rite of passage, passage coming out of high school and thinking about yeah. That's so true. And I think, you know, I'll add a little bit of nuance to this is that I don't think you can keep working on passion forever. At some point you have to get results. So I did put, I did impose deadlines on myself Mm -hmm. Um, after the first six months. Well, initially like 21 year old new grad Anu thought, well, you know, in six months I could probably get my MVP up and running team of one person, no software engineering experience, no PMing experience. Um, and I was clearly super let down and completely broke. And <laughs> I think at that point I realized this is a lot harder and a lot longer of a journey than I thought I was going to have. I was like, Oh, you know, coming out of college, you know, typically like, again, still working on those systems of, of external validation. I was like, I'm going to work on this company for two and a half years, sell it, go to Harvard law school. <laughs> like, and then everyone will understand why I did what I did. And quickly I learned that that's not the path that I don't know what the path is going to be, but it has to be this until I see some kind of outcome that makes me happy. And the outcome was in 2018, we worked with about a hundred high school students. And like, that's the measure of success that I decided matters. And in 2019, it'll be the measure of success is 1000 kids. I want to 10 X our impact in 2018. And it's not necessarily dependent on like how much money are we bringing in? Um, or, and it's not dependent on, you know, like how many mentors do we have and how much press are we getting? I'm like, if we just help these kids, I think the impact will reveal itself a little bit later and the sustainability model will also sort of reveal itself a little bit later, but you have to have deadlines. And if I don't accomplish this by the end of 2019, doing everything that I possibly can every single day, then it might be time to figure out, you know, how do we take what's already been done and give it to people who need it, that that can scale the impact and how do I move on to something that maybe is like the next iteration of admit ally or the next thing that I'm passionate about. But those deadlines are important because if you just work for passion on end, you might actually never impact anyone. And then you're living kind of a self-serving life because you feel great about going into work every day. But I think there has to be some point where you like look at yourself and be like, are we doing the thing that we want to do? If not, it might be time to sort of call it a sunk cost and be grateful for the experience, but do the next thing that can hopefully, you know, help more people. So I want to wrap this episode with a nice, neat bow that I think ties everything together here. Cool. So I, this show has taught me so much from the different guests that I talk to. And so often I get to find out about one person that impacted one of my guests' lives, right? Like the, the teacher that validated something about them, the mentor that told them something, the weird experience that was negative that turned into a positive and, and helped to shape their life and their success in their career, you know, throughout all of it. And if that one person knew that that one thing that they did made this other person a success, 
it would it would probably validate them in such an amazing way. And I'm sure the same way that you get validation from the kids who who get so much out of this experience. And I think in the context of this um, this most recent scandal, where people are getting the prestige of going to say Yale without having really earned it, without having earned their way in. We focus too much on the outcome. We focus too much on the glitz and the glamour. With, with entrepreneurs, we often focus on that. I'm going to run this for two years and exit and have my you know, success and press. And we forget that the real measure of success might be that you, you could have potentially just changed 100 kids' lives forever. And if you then focus on 1,000 kids, no matter how much money your company winds up making and whether it survives or whether it folds, you will have made a massive impact on people by way of doing this work. And I think that it's, if, if I could sum up what I'm getting out of this episode and tying it together with the work you're doing and the people I've spoken to is that we often underestimate the impact of touching one person and we overestimate the feeling that we'll get of accomplishment from an outcome because it's about earning that outcome and it's about doing the work that provides fulfillment and joy. And you know, just thank you for coming on and telling us about this. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I think that it is so freaking cool. I knew it from the day that you and I met and we talked about this. Um, and this interview was basically everything that I would hoped it would have been. And uh, for listeners, this is Anu's first podcast interview. And I, I got to say, you crushed it. It was phenomenal having you on. I want to ask you some rapid fire questions that we ask yeah. all we call the shareables and they're um, a way of asking our guests for things that they would share with our audience. Um, and, uh, and I want to take you through them. So here we go. These are rapid fire. I want you to kind of as quickly as you can answer these, not as much thought because I want the first thing that comes to your head. Okay. What's one book every person should read? Becoming by Michelle Obama. Okay. What's your favorite podcast? You can't say shareable as much as you want to. I really like the daily. I really like New York Times daily. Cool. What's one application, mobile or desktop, that everyone should go download? You can't say Evernote. Facebook Messenger. (laughs) Okay. What's one important skill of the future? Oh, I'm sorry. What is the most important skill of the future? Problem solving? Empathy? I I usually tell people they can't say empathy because empathy is the number one answer there. I might even have to remove that question because everyone says empathy. (laughs) It's it's a good answer. I would say empathy. Um, If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Um, probably to, oh man, I don't know. This is hard. Uh, this is not rapid fire at all. I'm taking a really long time to come up with an People answer. People are taking longer. It's fine. I'm going to let you off the hook on that one. But Great. Uh, also the, the other way you can answer the question is you can pick a superhero and, or a villain and have all of their power set just to kind of give you an alternative way of answering it. I think I would just, I would want to be able to read the minds of our policymakers specifically. So basically if it's a policymaker, you'd have the, the ability to turn it yeah, on. Yeah. yeah, It's like Taraji P. Henson in that, that new movie where she can read men's minds. I would want to uh, do yeah. that for like any person who's elected, you know, an official in this country. Amazing. All right. Here's the final question. This is one of my favorite questions um, because it's, ex- it's extremely timely. And that's what's one thing everybody listening to this episode should go and do today. So that means it has to be something that they can do Today, it, it can't take a week to do, a month to do. It can be something they start today and takes them a while, but is a thing that they, do, that they can stop listening to this episode and immediately go and start and do. Go talk to somebody who is um, a version of you, but younger, and tell them that you're always there to talk to them and champion them. 
and explain to them that whatever their goals are, which probably match yours, are totally within their grasp and you can help them develop a plan starting today. Awesome. You've been a phenomenal guest. Now's your chance to tell people where uh, they can go and be social with you, where they can learn what you're working on, where they can get involved, how they can help and support what you're doing. This is your part of the show to promote yourself. Tell people all about you. Cool. So we're Admit Ally, um, admitally.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, our Twitter is not great. So go there if you want to be part of the journey to getting great on Twitter. <laughs> and um, more importantly, all of our calls are free for the month of March. And starting on Ivy Day, which is at the end of March, our calls will be paid, but we will commit to being one of the cheapest services in the college counseling space that you can find anywhere in the world. And um, if you know somebody who could probably talk to a college student, we've got 25 college um, colleges on the platform right now. Um, elite schools, quote unquote, some of them even caught in this class action lawsuit. Um, students cannot sign up for free calls starting today through the month of March. And then um, we're excited to keep growing. Just stay part of our journey. And if you know amazing, empathetic college students at schools that we might not have on the platform, then please introduce us anytime. My email and phone number are everywhere on the internet. Um, thank you so much for having me. Of course. And we're going to put all of that information in the show notes. And before I wrap this up, I, I want to kind of jump back to people getting involved a little bit because I, I had a thought that if we have listeners who say work at a college that maybe your platform is not currently connected with, mm -hmm. um, or you're working with say, or maybe somebody that's listening that is a college student and they would be interested in being a mentor or you're a high school student and you are interested in, um, learning more about the platform. I guess that would be the yeah. one where the website and they learn more, but for students that are in colleges that would like to be a mentor or for people that work at colleges, um, talk to me just real quickly about, what would their title be? Who would they be connected to? Who would you want to talk to if they want to connect with you and get signed up to work on a ally? If you are working in a college uh, in the Department of Recruiting or Admissions, please reach out. We are, knock on wood, hopefully closing a deal with our first official college partner in the next few weeks. And our job, you know, is made a lot easier when we can actually ensure that families don't have to pay for our service. And that can happen through college partners who are willing to front the cost for certain students that have not historically been able to um, learn more about that school or who have been admitted but have not committed, who probably would want to learn more about that school, but they have no peer-to-peer -to -peer touch points in their sort of marketing that they do. Um, this is something that we're just starting to sort of embark upon, and um, it's going to be a really cool journey to see how these colleges can sort of engage students in a way that they sort of don't, they don't have any information on what the, call, what the calls are about or anything, but um, a way for students that are, that have gotten into a college to get a free admit ally call in this month of April um, 2019, when they're making decisions about where to go and they need unbiased, unfiltered truths from students, um, we're willing to do that. We're willing to pilot with different schools. Um, so reach out, Anu at admitally.com. And for high school students, um, definitely make use of the next month that calls are free. And for college students, you can sign up to be a mentor today at admitally.com. Very cool. All right, good. I'm glad we added that little bit because um, I want to see your service grow. I want to see 
not just uh, you succeed, but I want to see the the benefit of helping these other students and the mentors to succeed and thrive, and then also to help to rehabilitate in some way some of the aspects of our college process that are mm-hmm. that are broken. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. I think that um, having you on the show was absolutely the right idea. It was a phenomenal conversation, and uh, I really, I personally got a lot out of of being able to have this conversation with you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So I guess if I had to sum up this entire episode in one word, I guess I would just say it's shareable. Wait, the show's not over yet. I have some important announcements. If you made it this far, you're clearly a dedicated fan or you're in the middle of vacuuming and just haven't hit stop on your podcasting app. Whatever the case, we want to thank you. We're not just music to your ears, we're music to your inbox. If you subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe, not only will you get access to our private Facebook group, you'll also get all of our blog posts, newsletters, special announcements, and more. You won't find any of that in your podcast feed. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod on Twitter and just shareable podcast on everything else. You can find Jeff online at jeffgibber.com and you can connect with me on Twitter at Caroline Sohn because I don't have a website yet. So go ahead, call us, leave a message, subscribe to our list, leave a rating, review us on iTunes, tell a friend, tell your mom. If she's like my mom, she'll love it. And now for the thank you portion to all the folks that make this podcast possible. Shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song, Always, and Ahamitsu for the use of our outro song, Adventures. And a big thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value. 